Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. We're here. Got part four of our atonement series up. Oh my goodness. We're already at the end. I know. It's so weird to think that this is the last one. It's been good. Um, We could definitely go on forever. But we are rounding it out on what I think is a pretty nice point. So I'm not too disappointed at the same time. When we thought about doing the Atonement series as like, I mean, you know, we love a good series. But like when we decided to do this series, we were like, oh, it's just going to help us like gear up for Easter. It's going to be like, rah, rah, we're excited (laughs) about Easter. It has changed so much. It has helped us specifically to learn so much more about the atonement than we ever knew before, including like just scriptural accounts. Like we have learned so much about what happened the days leading up to the atonement and the resurrection and everything. And so we don't know about you guys. We hope you guys have learned something over the last few Mm. weeks, but like we have learned a lot. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. So good. So In case you need a refresher, in case this is the first episode you're tuning into, which, shame on you if it is, but, I mean, welcome. I mean, backtrack a little bit, please, but yes, welcome. We welcome you all. Part one covered the last days of Christ in Jerusalem, like when he cleansed the temple and taught his disciples. Part two covered the strengthening and enabling power of the atonement. Part three covered the redemptive power of the atonement, where justice and mercy play their part. And today, part four, the fourth and final installment of the atonement series, we are rounding it off with what happened after Christ suffered and died for us, the resurrection. This is a fundamental principle within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, specifically because we focus in our church about the living Christ and not the Christ who died, because Christ didn't die alone. He died and then he rose again three days later. Mm -hmm. So we focus on the living Christ. But in this episode, we are specifically going to talk about the blessings of the resurrection and what that all means for us. Exactly. So resurrection is the reuniting of the spirit with the body in an immortal state, no longer subject to disease or death. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, We are subject to physical death, which is a separation of the spirit from the body. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, all people will be resurrected and saved from physical death. And so that is pulled from our Gospel Topics manual about the resurrection. We've had such good talks. We've been able to reference like the New Testament so much. It's been so good. In particular, we've talked about The Gift of Grace by Dieter F. Uchtdorf, The Atonement and the Journey of Mortality by David A. Bednar, The Miracle of the Atonement by C. Scott Groh, and Redemption by D. Todd Christofferson. These are just a few of the amazing talks that we've discussed, and we're excited to discuss some of them more today and share a few new ones. Elder Christofferson has another great talk titled The Resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so this was shared back in the April 2014 General Conference, and we want to share this as a reminder of why Christ did what he did and how he was able to do it. So he said, Christ's resurrection shows that his existence is independent and everlasting. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. 
So having this knowledge for us, that gives us the chance to see and understand more. It can grow our faith and help us to cultivate a relationship with our heavenly parents and with Christ, our big brother. And I really love how Elder Christopherson went on to say, given the reality of the resurrection of Christ, doubts about the omnipotence, omniscience, and benevolence of God the Father, who gave his only begotten Son for the redemption of the world, are groundless. Doubts about the meaning and purpose of life are unfounded. Jesus Christ is in fact the only name or way by which salvation can come to mankind. The grace of Christ is real, affording both forgiveness and cleansing to the repentant sinner. Faith truly is more than imagination or psychological invention. There is ultimate and universal truth, and there are objective and unchanging moral standards as taught by him. It's just so powerful. Like that is such a good talk. And it just talks about how important, how vital the resurrection is, the impact and the strength that it has to change absolutely everything. It really does. And I know that we have talked about Christ and the resurrection in countless episodes before this. However, we haven't really reflected on the testimonies of past prophets and scriptorians about it, so we would like to highlight some of them now. We can see a few testimonies within the four Gospels. It is really interesting to see their accounts and how they chose to describe what happened, especially compared to a later book in the New Testament. So if you want to hear more about the New Testament account of the resurrection, we recommend that you go back to episode 59, The Days of the Atonement, which is episode one of our Atonement series, because we do go fairly in-depth into the accounts recorded by the apostles from the day that Christ was resurrected. We also cover a few days afterward when he appeared to everybody else. We also discuss this briefly in episode 48, the non-canonical Bible, about how we're missing the ministry of Christ with his apostles for 40 days after the resurrection. In the manual of David O. McKay, President McKay explains how the resurrection is written about in two of the Gospels. He starts out by saying that, Mark doesn't describe his own experience, but he shares the experience as everybody else saw it, even though he is writing in the first person. He is the first person to write, he is risen. Luke inquires of other people and composes his verses from a series of interviews. He explains that he accurately traced all things from the very first so that he can write them in order and in sequence, which is fascinating because I mean, we've talked about this before, how like each of the different apostles shares their different perspectives of each of the experiences that they had with the Savior. It's funny to see how people do it. Like Mark is the person that kind of writes like almost like he's the secretary of the group. Like he writes like (laughs) at this time, this happened. And at Mm -hmm. this time, this happened. And this day, this happened. Like it's very clinical and chronological. Whereas Luke kind of like he takes bits from everyone and then he goes, And the sun was like this on this day, and we all felt like this, Uh and we all saw this thing. And then John is like the revelatory one, and he was like, but this is what it actually means, because this is what the Lord told me it means. Yes. (laughs) And so it's like, it's just really interesting to see how all of their different accounts can weave together and to make like such a comprehensive explanation of everything. So fascinating. Yes. So cool. Okay. So I also love how the David O. McKay manual also goes on to say, there is a document which does give the personal testimony of an eyewitness to an appearance of Jesus after his death and burial. 
This personal witness also corroborates the testimony not only of the two men whom I have quoted in another section, but of others also. I refer to Saul, a Jew of Tarsus, educated at the See of Gamaliel, um, a strict Pharisee, and before his conversion, a bitter prosecutor of all who believed in Jesus of Nazareth as having risen from the dead and on the oldest authentic document in existence relating or testifying to the resurrection of Christ, we find Paul saying this to the Corinthians, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me, also, as of one born out of due time. And so that's pulled from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3-8. through 8. I feel like I knew this, but I also really feel that I did not know this, which is why I just really want to slip in his testimony here. Because like we know Saul slash Paul, he has such an incredible story. I don't know how to put this into words. It's just so fascinating that we have so many different counts and testimonies of those who did get to see Christ when he was resurrected. It's incredible to hear their accounts and try to piece them together into one cohesive history. We do know that between that time in Jerusalem, Christ also went to the Americas and taught the Nephites. So like we said in episode 59, we are not entirely sure how the timeline works with the resurrection of the Savior and his ministry with the Nephites versus his ministry with the Twelve in Jerusalem, especially because some of it would require him being in two places at the same time, which is really just confusing to our tiny mortal brains. So we just don't understand what's going on. <laughs> we aren't master scriptorians, but if anyone can, and if anyone is a master scriptorian, we would appreciate the clarification. We do, however, have the account of Christ's resurrection and ministry to the Nephites in 3 Nephi chapters 11 through 26, which we would like to share a few scriptures and like examples from. So, this is the account that I personally have always loved reading the most regarding the resurrection of Jesus because of the deep imagery that is in there. To begin, we are going to go back to 3 Nephi chapter 8. This is around the time that Christ is crucified. Again, we're not entirely sure, but it makes sense with how like the story plays out in the scriptures. And there are massive storms, earthquakes that swallow entire cities, there are fires, there is mass destruction happening all over the place. On top of that, a thick blinding and palpable darkness covers the earth. So, like, all of this stuff is happening while it's dark. You just hear, it's, it's like your dream, it's like you've got your eyes closed and you just hear the world ending around you. Yeah, terrifying. Oh my gosh, wait, is that what happened to Atlantis? Possibly. <sighs> Okay, sorry, back to the serious things. What happens next? So in 3 Nephi chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, we learn that it is so dark that no light could be seen whatsoever, not even fires made with the driest wood. Nothing but thick, tangible darkness for three days. Three days! Three days of that. That would be a nightmare for me. I'd be pretty convinced that I was dead at that point. Either that or that I had gone blind. Like, I would be convinced that I had gone blind. 
That is very true. I have been in very dark darkness and I'm like, is it my vision or is it my surroundings? Right. And then you'd be like looking for everyone else and be poking each other and being like, are you blind now? Is it just me? What is going on? And they're like, yeah, I'm blind too. And I'm like, okay, then is everyone blind now or is there just darkness? It's terrifying. That is. That's a nightmare. All right. So in 3 Nephi chapter 9, we learn that in the darkness, the voice of Christ is heard announcing the destruction of multiple cities, which is, again, absolutely terrifying. So I know we've used this image before in the podcast, but imagine being in complete darkness for three days and then suddenly hearing a loud voice coming from who knows where telling you that Washington, D.C. was sunk into the earth, that New York City was burned, that Orlando, Florida was dropped off into the ocean, and that everyone in all of those cities died. Like, that would be terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. That, and it's not like a radio host telling you everything. It's not like the government. It's just a voice. Yes, you're just like... A disembodied voice coming from somewhere. I feel like it would take a while to realize where it was coming from. That it was, like, coming from, like above them like if they even figured that out otherwise it's just like you hear it behind you you turn around there's no one there obviously because you can't see anything you turn around again and there you just you don't know what's going on it's scary i feel like they could make a horror movie about something like this happening if they haven't already but then the lord says in verses 13 through 22 that these people who can hear him have been spared because quote ye were more righteous than they Will ye not now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? End quote. Sometime after the Lord calls them all to repent, there is silence in the land for, they say, many hours. During this time, the darkness dissipates and they are able to finally see all of the destruction around them, which obviously has to be a heartbreaking moment too, because there have to be people that you know that were like probably dropped a building on and like all of these other horrifying things are just around you. That and I didn't really think about this growing up, but I, if like there have been places and cities that I have loved and to think about seeing them destroyed, seeing the hard work that has been put into building a beautiful place is also heartbreaking in itself. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you're going to see destruction and pain and fear everywhere. I cannot imagine that happening. It's terrifying and it's heartbreaking and it's a lot. And so then in chapter 11, the Nephites begin discussing with one another the sights, the sounds, and the experiences that they've just had. So now I'm going to just read the account that's in 3 Nephi chapter 11 verses 3 through 8 to perfectly illustrate what happens next. Quote, and it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. It was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause all their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that again they heard the voice, and they understood it not. And again, the third time they did hear the voice, and did open their ears to hear it, and their eyes were towards the sound thereof, and they did look steadfastly towards heaven from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard, and it said unto them, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. 
And it came to pass, as they understood, they cast their eyes up again towards heaven. And behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven, and he was clothed in a white robe. And he came down and stood in the midst of them. And the eyes of the whole multitude were turned upon him, and they durst not open their mouths, even one to another, and wist not what it meant, for they thought it was an angel that had appeared unto them, end quote. I felt like it was important to include these verses so you all could understand the stark juxtaposition of the time just before Christ's appearance to the Nephites versus when he finally appeared. They were in absolute soul-crushing darkness and destruction, and then they were brought into light again when Christ arrived. After Christ appears, he doesn't just like descend out of heaven and stand on top of a building and stay there. He walks among them, and he invites them all to feel the wounds in his hands and his feet and his sides, and they fall down at his feet and they worship him. And we included this section of the Book of Mormon today because we want to remind you how truly joyful of an experience this is. The resurrection of Christ is the biggest gift that we have from the atonement. Yes, we've already discussed how he suffered in Gethsemane to redeem us from our sins, how he strengthens us to endure our trials, and how he gave his life to satisfy the demands of justice and mercy. But his resurrection is truly the greatest blessing that we receive from the atonement. And it's because we all will be resurrected. We all have this promised blessing. Exactly. That was beautifully put. This is the plan that we agreed to before we came down to this earth. This was the plan. This was the promise that we received that in turn for going through this difficult, messy, troubling life that we can be resurrected, that we can become like our heavenly parents. So as everyone is resurrected, this is a gift for all of us. We're going to have our bodies and our spirits reunited in a perfect form, never to be separated again. Only those who chose not to accept the plan of Heavenly Father in the beginning, the one-third of the Heavenly hosts who chose to follow Lucifer, will not be resurrected. They never received a body, which means they, they can't do it. They can't have that resurrection. But we can. We have been given a beautiful, perfect gift for living this life, for going through mortality. And I don't feel like there's like really good enough words to say just how amazing that truly is. Because that means more to us in a way that we don't, we can't even comprehend during this lifetime, which is intimidating and exhilarating to think about. So in the section, Resurrection, in the Gospel Topics Manual, it says, At the time of the resurrection, we will be judged according to our works. We shall be brought to stand before God, knowing even as we know now, and have a bright recollection of all our guilt. The eternal glory we receive will depend on our faithfulness. Although all people will be resurrected, only those who have come unto Christ and partaken of the fullness of his gospel will inherit exaltation in the celestial kingdom. An understanding and testimony of the resurrection can give us hope and perspective as we experience the challenges, trials, and triumphs of life. We can find comfort in the assurance that the Savior lives and that through his atonement he breaketh the bands of death that the grave shall have no victory, and that the sting of death will be swallowed up in the hopes of glory. 
As we've discussed in previous episodes regarding the plan of salvation, the resurrection won't happen until after Christ's second coming. There is some debate as to when specifically that's going to happen, but from what we understand, the second coming will happen, the resurrection will happen, judgment will happen, and then the thousand years of Christ reigning on earth will happen, aka the millennium. If you remember our discussion in Ghosts in the Spirit World, the millennium is the time that Christ will make everything right. All ailments, problems, and questions we have had about divorce and ceilings, people being single, and every other issue that we've had on earth that we just don't understand, a solution will be provided and it will be made right by the Savior. Keep in mind that just because a resurrection happens and makes us all perfect and makes things right, it doesn't mean that it fixes everything. It'll make things perfect, but just because something is perfect, it doesn't mean that we will necessarily want that perfection. Which I think is just in- just an interesting side note because perfection can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. And it's just and something important that we need to keep in mind as we consider the resurrection and things that might come our way throughout this lifetime as well as the next. President Dallin A. Jokes makes a great point in his April 2000 general conference talk titled The Resurrection where he says the principle of restoration also means that persons who are not righteous in mortal life will not rise up righteous in the resurrection. Moreover, unless our mortal sins have been cleansed and blotted out by repentance and forgiveness, we will be resurrected with a bright recollection and a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanness. The seriousness of that reality is emphasized by the many scriptures suggesting that the resurrection is followed immediately by the final judgment. Truly, this life is a time for men to prepare to meet God. It's, it's important for us to remember, like, when the resurrection comes, we're not going to suddenly have beautiful, perfect bodies. Like, we're not going to just suddenly be perfect people. That's not how it works. Just because we're all being resurrected, it doesn't necessarily lead straight to a path where we're all being glorified and exalted. People who are bad in life and did not repent in the spirit world will still be those same people. As we learn in Alma 34, 34, that same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time that ye go out of this life, the same spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. That's why we're encouraged to spend our lives repenting and preparing ourselves spiritually to be with Christ again. We can't just be on this pathway to life and then sit there and then just suddenly try to start running the moment we're resurrected. We need to be ready for when that time comes. That's why we're here. We need to be learning how to be those spiritual beings who are prepared to be resurrected. Exactly. So one thing that I've been thinking about a lot over the last week in regards to the resurrection is something that I mentioned earlier with things being made perfect doesn't necessarily mean that we will want it that way. I know we've learned from the wonderful ladies at the Holy Human podcast, when we focus the resurrection on people being cured of their disabilities, physical or mental imperfections, and even things like weight, we are looking at everything from a severely ableist perspective. I personally don't think that we will all be resurrected to a cookie cutter standard of like tall, skinny, white, and like other things like that. Yeah, that's not how it is. I I used to think that growing up. I have a few physical imperfections that do get noticed the more you're around me. And it was interesting to learn to try to grow up and say, yeah, I have this now. 
but I'll be better in the next life. Then people won't stare at me the way that they do now. And it has taken me a long time to get used to the idea that things aren't going to change like that. And I have found that I am better for that, that it's helped me to let go of preconceived notions that I had that were hurting me. Ultimately, I love what the Holy, the Holy Human podcast is talking about because we're not meant to look the same. We are all meant to be very different people and we need to stop thinking that there's only one way to be perfect. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that those sisters have said on their podcast that it's possible that people with disabilities will be resurrected with their disabilities. Like some people have lived with them their whole lives, learned to love them and love who they are because they have grown through their disabilities. And it's possible that in the eternities, they wouldn't be truly happy if they didn't still have a piece of their disability with them. For me personally, I think that it is very, very possible that the Lord will consult with us at the resurrection and or at judgment about how we want our bodies to be perfected. I like that. I know for me, for me, I spent my entire life having body issues. And a lot of it came from other people pushing their perspectives on what my body should look like onto me. And I know that like weight and fat phobia is not the same thing as like a disability. But for me, I do know that when I was finally like the body size that they that the world wanted me to be, I did not like who I was because I was constantly stressing about how my body looked and I hated that. And so if I am resurrected and I look like that, I don't think I'm going to be happy. I don't think I'm going to be perfect for myself. I'll be perfect for somebody else. Right. I truly think that there's a lot that goes into making up a soul with our spirits, our bodies, our minds to become the people who we we are and who we're meant to be. I really like that outlook that when we go to heaven, like I don't think we'd be changed so drastically that we're not happy being who we are. I think that's a really good way to look at it. It reminds me, have you seen Quest for Camelot? Yeah. Yes, at the end where like the sword is back in King Arthur's hands or something. There's the two dinosaurs. I just forgot their names, but they're brothers and like they're they're merged together and then their magic is going on and then they're separated and they've never been separated in their lives. And they're like, Yay, because that's all they ever wanted. But they just learned to work together in a way that they've never been able to do before. They were learning how to like, you know, fly and like spit fire and stuff. They're given the chance to be separate, but they end up deciding like within moments, they're like, no, this isn't who I am. Like I'm with my brother. Like this is who I'm meant to be. And so they like go back and they're merged again. And I didn't get that growing up for a long time. I was like, I definitely want both of my hands. I want as much of my body to be mine as possible. But I'm starting to see it in a new light where it's like they they know they knew by that point who they were. To have that change takes away a lot of who who they are, and not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And yes, that has to be taken into consideration when we are resurrected. It has to. Yeah. Honestly, thinking about the resurrection that way, about the way that like it would be a dialogue between me and my heavenly parents and Jesus about how I want to look for the rest of eternity and the options that I can have for the rest of eternity, it makes me happier to think about the resurrection instead of just knowing that I'm going to get 
thrust up there and come out six feet tall, skinny and looking like a model. Like, I don't want that. I don't want that for my life. Agreed. And there was one point when was I was like in my early teens where everything is a mess in your life anyways. But I remember like being so afraid and paranoid that I'd get to heaven, that I'd be that kind of resurrected person and hate myself. Like I was like, I don't like to wear white. I don't want to like have, I don't want to be looking like everyone else. I don't want that. It It took me a long time to realize that's not how it is. That's not how it should be. Like we're yeah we're not going to be cookie cutters who all look the same. No, we're we're individual souls for a reason. However, we are changed in the resurrection. It is going to be beautiful, but it's not going to be in a way where we are not still ourselves. We're we're still going to be us. We're just going to be more. It's kind of like why would he create us to be different and individuals and diverse if we were just going to go back up to heaven and be exactly the same? Exactly. That doesn't make sense. I love that. I just like thinking about the resurrection like that. Love that. The resurrection is exciting and amazing. And we get so many blessings out of it, not just with the hope of the future, but there is so much more that we can be considering in this life and the next. And there is a wonderful blog called Unlocking the Bible, where scholars, religious leaders, and more proclaim Christ through media, and they share doctrinal principles of Christ throughout their posts. So Tom Olson, the campus pastor at the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in Barrington, Illinois, shared a post titled The Six Realities of the Resurrection. So I want to share a portion that I thought was very insightful. He says, ultimately, Christianity is far more than just a worldview or a philosophy or a way of looking at life. It is all those things, but it is far more than that. Ultimately, Christianity is a living hope and an eternal inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I thought that was just so beautiful. There is so much celebration to be enjoyed and understood and learned about within the pain and the hardships that we bear. And this blog post was very good because it also talks about the six realities of the resurrection that can also be viewed as blessings. So we wanted to read through these. The first one is we can be born again. That's the purpose of the resurrection. That is saying that we're not going to die forever when we're done on this lifetime. Number two, we are protected by God. This is a reminder that we're not alone, that we are being guided along on this journey if we are willing to look up and see him there. Number three is that we can survive suffering. The resurrection gives us hope. It shows us that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, even when we are walking, running, or crawling because we're struggling. Number four is we love and can believe. It's hard to have hope 
when you don't believe that the light at the end of the tunnel is really there. And we can learn to love by seeing the love that Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Parents have for us. Number five is that we rejoice with joy. There is something to celebrate. This is not just about the hardships and trying to survive. There is something more beyond that for us. And number six is that we will obtain salvation. So not only will we live to in the next life, not only will we be resurrected, but we're going to be saved from all the bad things that have happened to us that we've caused in our lives. There is salvation for us all. Exactly. So we thought we would share these blessings of the resurrection because they remove the focus from our bodies being made perfect and focus instead on the magnitude of the blessing of the resurrection. More than having our bodies reunited with our spirits, never to be separated again, we have divine witness that we will live again. We have divine witness that we are loved and protected by God, that we can overcome everything hard in our lives, that we can rejoice with Christ and our heavenly parents, and that we can be exalted or receive every final blessing the Lord has in store for us because of the resurrection. Every wrong will be made right. Every tear that we shed because of heartache, agony, or anguish, the Lord will replace those tears with tears of joy and tears of gladness. Those are the promises that Heavenly Father made to us when he presented this plan in the pre-mortal life. That's why we shouted for joy. That's why we leapt at this opportunity to go on this journey of mortality. We did it because of this great blessing. And we knew that it would be all worth it if it meant that we could live with our heavenly parents in Jesus Christ again. Back to President Oaks' talk, The Resurrection, from April 2000 General Conference. He says, quote, In our eternal journey, the resurrection is the mighty milepost that signifies the end of mortality and the beginning of immortality. The Lord described the importance of this vital transition when he declared, And thus did I, the Lord God, appoint unto man the days of his probation, that by his natural death he might be raised in immortality unto eternal life, even as many as would believe. Similarly, the Book of Mormon teaches, For as death hath passed upon all men to fulfill the merciful plan of the great Creator, there must needs be a power of resurrection. We also know from modern revelation that without the reuniting of our spirits and our bodies in the resurrection, we could not have a fullness of joy, end quote. I love that so much because the resurrection really does give us that powerful witness of everything that is to come, like everything that is in store for us. Death is not the conclusion of who we are. It is really just a stepping stone. We are given that blessing to know that our mortality isn't centered on our eventual fatality, but that all of these blessings can come through our death and through the end of our mortality and the beginning of immortality. Yes, exactly. And this is one of the reasons why I got a lot more interested in stoicism. Like over the last couple of years, my friend who went into philosophy, talked to me a lot about it. That's why in like the first like 20 episodes of our podcast, we keep repeating Memento Mori. Yeah. Remember <laughs> death. Death does come for us. And we joked about it so much. And I still do with my family. It drives them crazy because they think I'm being morbid. But no, I, I mean, yes, a little bit sometimes just because I can't. Come on. <laughs> Like, if you know me, I can't resist, like, just throwing some shade. But I love that because they're all about accepting what we can't do anything about because we can't prevent death and we don't need to be scared of it. 
things are going to happen. Um, another phrase that they use is amor fati, which is love fate, which is about accepting the things you cannot change. It's like the serenity prayer. Like I, we can't change everything. We can only go along with things as they go. Like we've talked about this in our last, in our past episodes where we can't change our change everything going on, but we can change how we react, how we think and feel about certain things. Death is not the conclusion. It is not the end of who we are, what we are. It's just a stepping stone and we can let it be beautiful if we let it. Since my dad died, I've had much more fond, friendly feelings about death than I did beforehand. And even though I was 100% with you on the joking about Memento Mori, remember death at the beginning. (laughs) It's fun. I love it. Even though I I was in on it for like the joking macabre purposes, (laughs) it really is true. Like, don't be afraid of death. Like, death is not the end. Death is really just the beginning. There is so much more that's going to happen after we die. Do we know everything that's going to happen? No, we don't. Do I know in my mortal state what life is going to be like in the spirit world where there is no time whatsoever? No, I don't. Am I excited about it? Yeah, I am. Because thinking about the potential that I have to grow and continue in the future without this body that has health issues and (laughs) depression and ailments all the time and my bones crack every time I move now as a 31-year-old. I am so excited to be rid of this body (laughs) and doing stuff as a spirit or to have a perfected body and to be doing even more things with my spirit together. So like, I am just excited about the potential for what is coming in the future after I die and after Christ comes back and everything that happens in eternity. I am ready for all of that. Yes, agreed. And I would like to note that we're not telling you that you have to love death, that you need to enjoy death. You need to be macabre like we are. No. We're definitely not saying that. But learning to have a healthy relationship with the concept and understanding of death can do so much good for a soul. I really started to change my reflection on what death is when I read a book called The Good Death and Exploration of Dying in America by Caitlin Doty. She, she's written a few books. Uh, another one is like, is titled, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? And so she answers a lot of uh, questions about death and everything because she's a mortician. And she writes such great reflections on burials and questions that we all have and how uncomfortable it can be facing death, as well as the peace that can come through it, the acceptance that people can find, learning to say goodbye to your loved ones. It's It's hard, but it doesn't need to always be so painful. We do encourage you to to learn what you can to come to a better relationship with what death can be, because there is so much more to it than just the darkness, the sadness, and the pain. There is light. We firmly believe that. We will be joking about bad things until the day we die, and probably after that, too. Oh, for sure after that. I, I was just like, I don't know how we'll joke about it, because we can't be like, ugh, I'd like to die, because we'll already be dead. So it'll be interesting how our humor changes. Oh, I'm still going <laughs> to be like, ugh, kill me, even when I'm on the other side. Like, that's never going to go away. <laughs> well, it's like, will we be wishing we were, we can't, how, do, how are we supposed to wish we were dead if we're like, still alive after death 
Like, we're not going to be wishing, oh, I wish I was still alive. Like, no. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll be so busy on the other side that, like, life on Earth will seem like a vacation. We'll be like, gosh, I wish I was still alive. I had so fewer things to worry about. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There is so much we don't know. Anyways, so let's... All right, back to... Bringing it back. Sorry, guys. In March 2012, the Pacific Area Presidency gave an address regarding the resurrection. They said, quote, Significantly, Christ's resurrection was not limited to just him. It unlocked the power to resurrect all the children of God. Because of Christ's resurrection, by the power of God, all men shall come forth from the grave. Indeed, Christ's resurrection unlocked the power to restore the entire creation of God. Thus saith the Lord, And the end shall come, and the heaven and the earth shall be consumed and pass away. There shall be a new heaven and a new earth, for all old things shall pass away, and all things shall become new, even the heaven and the earth, and all the fullness thereof, both men and beasts, the fowls of the air, fishes of the sea, and not one hair, neither moat, shall be lost, for it is the workmanship of mine hand. Nothing is more absolutely universal than the resurrection." Truly did Paul write, as in Adam all die, and even so in Christ shall all be made alive, end quote. I love this quote, and it it perfectly ties into our talk about death, because as we've learned from the scriptures and from this quote, everything has to die to be made new in Christ. And we've talked about this so many times with regards to our old selves have to die in order to become new in Christ. Our old attitudes, our old sins, our behaviors, everything that we lived like before being baptized and before choosing to follow Christ has to die so that way we can become new in Christ. We physically have to leave our bodies in order to become new in Christ and to be resurrected. And the earth has to die too. Like there, we know from the scriptures, from Revelation, that the earth will be burned. The earth will be cleansed at some point after the second coming. And the earth will be made new and it will be glorified and become a new earth. It just goes to show even further that everything has to die to become new in Christ. And if we want to have that marvelous blessing of the resurrection and be really excited and happy about it, we have to come to terms with the fact that everything has to pass away first in order to become perfect again. We can't be perfect as we are. We need to go through that transformation process and that can be amazing. All right. So to start wrapping everything up today, we want to share a beautiful quote by Elder Garrett W. Gong from his April, 2020 general conference. His talk was titled Hosanna and hallelujah, the living Jesus Christ, the heart of the restoration and Easter. So Elder Gong states Significantly, the Book of Mormon describes the power and resurrection of Christ, the essence of Easter, in terms of two restorations. First, resurrection includes physical restoration. Then the second promise of Easter and our Lord's Atonement is that spiritually all things shall be restored to their proper order. This spiritual restoration reflects our works and desires. Like bread upon the water, it restores that which is good, righteous, just, and merciful. No wonder the prophet Alma uses the word restore times as he urges us to deal justly, judge righteously, and do good continually. 
So I like a lot of what Elder Gong did have to say, and it's important to remind ourselves that it's going to be different for everyone along this journey on how we are resurrected. It's going to be a very personal experience, I think, and it can be truly beautiful. And I like how he went on to say, because God himself atoneth for the sins of the world, the Lord's atonement can make whole not only what was, but also what can be. Because he knows our pains, afflictions, sicknesses, our temptations of every kind, he can, with mercy, succor us according to our infirmities. Because God is a perfect, just God, and a merciful God also, the plan of mercy can appease the demands of justice. We repent and do all we can. He encircles us eternally in the arms of his love. I love that. So beautiful. The resurrection is not going to be this just like mass transformation that just like randomly happened, like just takes place. It's going to be very individual. It's going to be very spiritual. And I don't really think that we're going to feel alone in the process, which I had not considered before. I kind of just like imagine the whole like, oh, I'm suddenly an angel. Like, whoa, everyone else is too. But it's going to be like, okay, this is happening. I've got my heavenly parents right here beside me. I have all the people who love me right here next to me. And it's going to be beautiful. I love how Elder Gong says that it not only restores what was, but also what can be. So everything that we've talked about already today, like, yes, we know that the physical restoration and resurrection of our bodies will be made perfect somehow. But it's not just going to be a cookie cutter. It's going. It's what can be. It'll be a discussion. It's not just who we are right now or when we thought we looked the best, but it's like, what is our potential? What is our eternal potential physically, spiritually, mentally, everything? Like, what is our eternal potential? And that will be the conversation. And the Lord will restore that. He restores and enhances our eternal potential. And I love thinking about that when I think about the resurrection. That is so great. Yes, it's going to be beautiful. As we turn back to the atonement, we do know that Christ's atonement was the most important event in history. We are so blessed to have this knowledge and the gift of the atonement in our lives to make all of that possible for us. Truly, we would not be able to do anything without the gift of the atonement. The promise of Christ's resurrection is for all of us. We will live again. We will have our spirits and our bodies reunited. We will be made perfect. We will live in happiness with Christ, our heavenly parents, and our loved ones forever. The pains, sufferings, and problems we have in our mortal lives right now, all the issues we're going through, this is all going to be replaced with joy and gladness with Christ. I love how Elder Bruce R. McConkie of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles once wrote, Nothing is more absolutely universal than the resurrection. That is meant for all of us. We will all be blessed through this. We have the opportunity in this lifetime to work our way up to get to the point where we will be able to better accept it, to better understand it, and to embrace it. And I think that is a beautiful opportunity that we have before us. I agree. I think that... We miss out on a huge part of the atonement when we don't think about the resurrection, when we kind of like skip over that part, because we know that he suffered, we know that he died for us, we know that he satisfied the demands of justice and mercy for us, but we also have this great blessing of the resurrection, that he rose again, he lives He lives now. It's not just a memory. It's not just 
a story. It's not that he's like, you know, off distantly, like, like a ghost or whatever. Like he lives again Mm -hmm. and he lives in everything that we have. He's in our hearts. He's in our minds. He's in everyone around us. He lives. And we are given that absolute blessing because of the resurrection. So we are just so blessed because of the atonement and because we have the resurrection in our lives. We truly are. It's it's amazing. And I am so glad that we took this time for these four episodes to create what I think is a pretty amazing series about the atonement, about how it played out on this earth, how it's going to play out into the next life and the impact and the power that comes with it. We're just, we're just so blessed. It's amazing. And I have enjoyed all of these four episodes and I really hope that you as our listeners have enjoyed every moment as well. I can, I've been able to see like both of our testimonies growing through this. We have learned a lot. We are coming closer to better understanding the blessings that we are constantly being given. And for all those that are waiting for us in the next life, it is just incredible. We have so much to look forward to that our problems during this lifetime can look minuscule because there is so much joy that is ahead of us. So long as we are willing to put in the effort to, to take that path, to go in that direction, to get to be where our heavenly parents are. It's amazing. And we're not alone. We have each other. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ who did all this for us. And we have our heavenly parents beside us, watching over us and working with us along the way. Amen to everything that you just said. I've been thinking this week as I've been doing Come Follow Me, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that we record this episode like a week before it premieres, <laughs> so we have time to edit and everything. Shouldn't be I a mean, surprise. Yeah, fair, right? <laughs> so this week is all about Easter, and it's all about the atonement and focusing on the meaning of the Easter season. And one thing that I studied today was about how the revelations in Doctrine and Covenants changes your perception of the resurrection and what it means to you and what it does to your testimony. Like, how do these revelations affect your testimony of the resurrection? At one point in my study, I recognized that the resurrection is going to be a glorious time for some people and a miserable time for other people. It'll be a miserable time for the people who spent their whole lives working actively against Jesus Christ and denying him, causing evil, doing bad things their whole lives, and then getting to the spirit world and still choosing evil. And that when they come before Christ, they are not going to want to be there. They are going to want to be anywhere but there. And I thought about how, conversely, we read so much in the scriptures That the resurrection is going to be a joyous and glorious occasion because we're finally going to be made perfect, however that looks for us. The thing that I thought about was, what is it going to look like for me when I'm resurrected and when I'm in front of the Savior? And the only thing I could think of was, I'm probably just going to be on the floor crying the entire time, like unable to formulate a sentence or coherent thought. And it'll be because I have spent so much time in my life on earth trying to be better, 
I know I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone else. I just know that I'm trying really hard to do good and to do what the Lord has taught me to do. And so being resurrected and being before him will just feel like a relief. It'll feel like I finally did it. Like I did it. I finally did what he wanted me to do. And I'll just be a mess like I am now. Probably worse. Honestly, yes. And I'll just want to worship at his feet and spend as much time as possible with him. And the juxtaposition between those two scenarios is really powerful for me. And I tend to think that even if we don't do things perfectly right in this life, but because we have the blessing of the atonement, because we have his suffering in the cro- in Gethsemane, because he died on the cross for us, and because he rose the third day for us, we have that sure promise that whatever happens to us in this life and whatever we go through in this life, it was meant to make us better. And that if we are actively seeking the Savior in our lives, that we will find him. And that when we get to the other side and we are resurrected, we will be in the place that the Lord knows that we will be the happiest. Whether that's the top tier of the celestial kingdom, the VVIP room, or the regular people section of the celestial kingdom, or any of the other kingdoms, we will be exactly where we are the most comfortable and we are the most happy. I cannot wait for that time. I am so grateful that we have had this time through the last few weeks to prepare this series and to do this work because it has helped me to refocus on why I stay, why I keep doing these things, why not just the podcast, I'm going to do the podcast till I die probably, (laughs) why I stay in the church even when things are hard and things are very difficult to stay. I stay because of my relationship with Christ and I am so grateful to know that he lives and that he loves me and that because of his atonement, everything that is wrong and confusing in my life will be made right and will be made clear. And I know that I could not have gotten to this point where I am right now if it hadn't been for the time that I've taken over the last few weeks to really go in depth and focus on just the atonement. But I want to wrap up everything by encouraging everyone to really take time to go back and to not only listen to what we've shared the last few weeks, but to study the things that we have discussed. Go through those references that we've shared. Go through those talks that we've discussed. Read everything that you can so that way you can get a better and stronger understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ, because nothing is more important than developing that knowledge and testimony and understanding of who Jesus Christ is, why his atonement happened, and what it means for your life. Nothing is more important than that. Amen to that. You don't need to take out anything that you've just said, Tracy. It was perfect. I don't know what else I could say to add to that. But yes, like, please do your own reading for yourself as well. You can see that we've been strongly impacted and by, by everything that we've read through recently. And we want you to experience the same for yourself. 
this journey is going to be separate and individual for each of us. You can see the path that we are on and we're trying to set that example for you so that you can do this for yourself. Read these talks, read those scriptures, you know, listen to our podcast if that helps, listen to a general conference if that helps. Do what's going to bring you closer on this journey the way that you want to be so that you can build that relationship with your heavenly parents to come to a better understanding of the of the atonement to build up your testimony as you want it to be built. We have strong testimonies and very strong feelings about this. And we are just so grateful that you have been willing to listen and to tag along with us on this beautiful journey. There is so much that could be said. Of course, we know there is only so much we touch upon, but ultimately we are just very grateful for you to be listening, to have come with us on this journey. And we are just so grateful for the opportunity to not just have this podcast, but to be learning, to be going on this journey as well. Like it means so much to both of us. So thank you, you guys. Thank you. Next week, we will be back to normal. No more series. We are going to do our general conference review, Yes, which we are really excited about. We're so excited to hear from all of the general authorities and hopefully get a lot of revelation because we are both in desperate need of it. <laughs> Fingers crossed, all the prayers, all the fasting. We are really, really determined for this. And we look forward to hearing what you guys have to think as well. So we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye.